text for this morning's sermon is Luke 1, 39 through 45. Luke 1, 39 through 45. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And was, when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would uh, apply these words to our heart <clears throat> as we uh, consider this wonderful news of a Savior being born into the world. God, I pray that we can experience the same joy that Mary did, that Elizabeth did, and John. Lord, I just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, the text we have before us is all about blessedness and joy. One thing I know for sure is you want joy. You want happiness, and you want pleasure. You want things to turn out well for you. Every single person on the face of the earth is chasing joy, is chasing happiness, is chasing pleasures. The opposite of joy and pleasure is sorrow and pain. We're chasing after joy and happiness, joy and pleasure, and seeking to avoid sorrow and pain. It's what it means to be human. It doesn't matter who you are, where you're at, even a person Thinking about suicide is thinking about getting joy. They're being tempted to believe the lie that taking your own life will end the pain and bring about joy. Everything we do seeks after that. Uh, Many think and many have believed that our joy is what God wants us to sacrifice for Him. Uh, John Piper has been so helpful in understanding this. Uh, John's conception of Christianity for a good portion of his life was that what we need to do is sacrifice joy in order to glorify God. 
in order to do what God really wants. God wants us to sacrifice our happiness. But what we find in the Scripture is that God's glory and your happiness are not in conflict with each other. God commands us to glorify Him, and God commands us to rejoice and be happy. And these two things are inseparable from each other. God commands your joy, commands your happiness, and at the same time, commands you glorify Him. Well, how can those two things go together? The only way is if true joy and true happiness come from glorifying God and knowing God in a relationship with Him. Before we jump into our text, I want us to look at Psalm 16. I just want to read this psalm with you. And I want you to see the difference between the person who has sorrow and the person who has joy. Psalm 16, uh, starting in verse 1. David wrote this, and here's what he says. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. So this is David saying, I'm just saying it. You're my refuge, God. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. He's saying they're the ones that have exalted joy. But then look at the contrast in verse 4. The sorrows of those who run after another god shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. He's saying, I won't go after someone else, some other God, some idol. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night, my Also, my heart instructs me. I've set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Now get this, verse 9. Look at these words. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, that means to death, or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. Now here's my question for you. Do you believe the end of this verse? In your presence there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. David, although his life circumstances were often difficult, he was often running for his life, 
found that fullness of joy is in the presence of God and pleasures forevermore. Here's what this means. This means that if you chase after anything other than God for joy or happiness, your sorrows are going to increase. That's what God's Word says over 2,700 years ago that was written. And it's still true today. Your joy is not dependent upon your circumstances, how those come in your life, but is based off your relationship with your Creator. True joy is in the presence of God. Now let's turn to Luke chapter 1 and dive into these six verses that have blessedness and joy written all over them. And here's the main point of the message this morning. My charge to you is to believe God's Word concerning His Son and rejoice. That's easier said than done. (laughs) You can know it in your head, and it's different. There's a difference in knowing it in your head and believing it in your heart, and it's a battle. Let's catch ourselves up to this story. So, so far in Luke, uh, after the prologue, we've had two narratives. We have the narrative where Gabriel came to Elizabeth, or came to Zechariah and said, Elizabeth is going to miraculously give birth in her old age to John the Baptist, the forerunner of Christ. And then in a parallel passage, Gabriel comes and tells Mary that she's going to miraculously give birth even though she is a virgin. Zechariah, when he heard this from Gabriel, doubted in his heart, and he instantly became deaf. He could not talk. He could not speak as punishment. And the angel said, until your son is born, you will not be able to speak. Mary, on the other hand, also wondered how this was going to be, but she obviously asked in faith. She believed. She said, Lord, may it be to me as you have spoken. And this is one of those passages that I think is, I mean, just it just causes me to wonder. If I could be a fly on the wall in Zachariah and Elizabeth's home for three months and listen to these two women talk about what was going on in their wombs and what God was about to do. It's kind of like the two on the road to Emmaus. We're going to get there way later in Luke as their hearts are burning inside them. They're actually talking to Christ and they don't even know it. It's just one of these passages that is amazing to consider. So let's look at uh, verse 39. And this is under point one in your notes. Blessed believers rejoice in the community of faith. 
In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. So in what days? In what days are we talking about? Back in uh, verse 36, we read, And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. So we're six months into Elizabeth's pregnancy. And then if you skip ahead to verse 56, uh, at the end of the Mary's Magnificent, here's what she says. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned home. So when it says she left with haste, it means she left with haste. Because about six months into her pregnancy, Mary gets there. And as far as we can tell, Mary wasn't there when John the Baptist was born. So she leaves immediately. And the question I want to ask is why? Why does Mary take off a young girl, probably 12 or 13 years old? Why does she take a dangerous journey south all by herself to race and see Elizabeth? Well, the answer to that question is in the former passage we looked at when Gabriel told her, Behold, Gabriel's helping her with her faith, your cousin is already six months into her pregnancy. Even though she's in her 70s, 80s, she's, she's older. And so, and Gabriel says, nothing's impossible with God. So why does she run? Why does she take off immediately? You know, some uh, think that this was to avoid what it would look like to be pregnant outside of marriage, to, to not be married yet, to be betrothed, to be engaged, but now you're pregnant. Some people think that's why she ran, but she wouldn't be showing yet. So that doesn't really make sense. We don't even know that she's told Joseph yet. We don't even know if she told her parents yet. What would cause her to run? Uh, here's what I'm going to argue. Her faith. Her faith would cause her to run, to go with haste to Elizabeth's home because she wanted more faith. I think her faith in Gabriel's words, saying Elizabeth is pregnant, is what drove her to go. And also, I think she wants to see Elizabeth's belly to know she's not going crazy. Because an angel just came and talked to her and said she's going to be pregnant with the Son of God, this unthinkable reality. 12, 13, 14-year-old girl... Gabriel shows up, greets her, and says, God has given you grace. You're going to give birth to a Savior. You're going to call His name Jesus. Now, think of it. Imagine going to your mom and dad and saying, Mom and dad, I don't want you to be mad at me, but I'm pregnant. But an angel came to me 
and said, I'm going to give birth to the Son of God. So don't, don't get mad at me. Well, I'm sorry. Teenagers can come up with some crazy stories. But there's nobody on the face of the earth that is going to buy this story. There's not one person. Well, yes, there is. There's probably one person on the face of the earth that will buy this story. Maybe two, Zachariah and Elizabeth. Because Gabriel just come to them. And Elizabeth's now six months pregnant. And faith drives Mary to leave in haste. And Mary is seeking to have her faith strengthened in this extraordinary promise that uh, God has given her. Uh, if you think about it, as Christians, we, uh, we act in faith, for faith, all the time. Why do you come to church Sunday mornings? Because you need your faith strengthened. As Christians, we don't get perfect faith. We need to be in a community of faith. We need to speak truth into each, other, each other's lives. It took faith to get here this morning. And yet you're here because you know that you need your heart strengthened and your mind strengthened in truth. It's not that much different for us. Now let's think about it for a minute. We're going to see some amazing fellowship here in a moment. We just get to see the very beginning of it because then they get to sit there for three months and I'm jealous to not know how those three months went and all that they would wonder about and all that they would talk about. But what made the fellowship so sweet? Think about this. Imagine if Mary just decides to go see her cousin Elizabeth. Oh, hey Mary, how's it going? Oh, good. Uh, how's the family? How's the, you know, it's good to see you. How's mom and dad? Yeah. It would be, I mean, I'm, I'm sure it'd be good. But what makes this have wonder to it. What makes this fellowship the sweetest fellowship in the world? The fact that it's fellowship of two people looking and hoping in Christ. That's what makes the fellowship sweet. That's what makes Christian fellowship so sweet. Blessed believers rejoice in the community of faith. But I tell you what, our idolatry is tricky. Because the Bible says we need the community of faith. We need each other. But we can need each other in such a way that we actually try to find our joy and hope in each other apart from Christ you want to know what happens then? Then what happens is relationships that are strained because sinful people let sinful people down. Our fellowship is most sweet when we gather together, recognize we're all sinners, we all fail each other, but when we're looking and hoping in Christ, guess what? The sweetest fellowship on the face of the earth can flourish. 
So let's move on to the second point. Blessed believers rejoice in the inspired Word. Here's what we read in verse 41. When Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now that's an important statement we're going to talk about. And then it says, she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. This is a weird, I mean, if you were to watch this, this would be kind of weird. Mary comes and greets her and all of a sudden, Elizabeth screams out. That's what the Greek word, screams very loudly, shouts very loudly. This odd statement where she says, blessed are you among women, blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord shall come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there'd be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Now here we see two prophetic things happening. There's a prophetic leap and there's a prophetic loud cry that comes. John is prophesying and Elizabeth is prophesying. So what does it mean that she was filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, one of the themes throughout the Scripture is when a prophet, uh, or when the Bible speaks of a prophet, it speaks of them as being full of the Spirit, filled with the Spirit. I don't think we're supposed to think of being born again, full of the Spirit, but that the Spirit of God comes over them so that they can give a perfect prophetic message from God. What they say is uh, inspired. To be full of something means there's no room for anything else. And if the Spirit of God comes into you and it fully takes over your speaking, you're going to speak exact truth. You're going to speak the words of God. Now notice this text says, Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. But if we remember back in verse 15, here's what Gabriel told Zechariah. For he, meaning John, will be great before the Lord. He must not drink wine or strong drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. So you have two fillings of the Spirit. John in his mother's womb, and Elizabeth. That's what we know so far from uh, chapter 1. And what we should expect is prophecy is going to happen. They're going to prophesy. They're going to speak the words of truth. Just give you an example. Micah, when he was kind of mocking the false prophets of his day, here's what he said about them. Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who lead people astray, who cry peace, when they have something to eat, but declare war against him who puts nothing into their mouths. Therefore, it shall be night to you and without vision and darkness to you without divination. He's saying prophets, 
You're not going to get any knowledge. <laughs> You're not going to get any visions. It's going to be like night, pure blackness. The sun shall go down on the prophets and the day shall be black over them. The seers shall be disgraced and the diviners shall be put to shame. They shall all cover their lips. There shall be no answer from God. But Micah says, but as for me, I am filled with power, with the Spirit of the Lord and with justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgressions and to Israel his sin. Micah is saying, I'm not like the other prophets, for I'm filled with the Spirit of God. So that when Micah called out Israel's sins, it was God calling out Israel's sins. And when Samuel was anointing Saul as king in 1 Samuel 10.6, here's what it says, Then the Spirit of the Lord will rush upon you, and you'll prophesy with them and be turned into another man. Meaning, Saul, who only has this wisdom, when the Spirit of God rushes upon him, he's going to be able to prophesy true words of God. And later in Luke chapter 1, verse 67, a few verses forward, here, here's what it says of Zechariah. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. So, what are they going to say? John's filled from the womb. Mary is uh, filled uh, right in this text. We, we see that the, she was full of the Spirit. Here's what we see from John. We know that John's going to be a prophet. We're told uh, in Matthew 11, 11, he's the greatest prophet, the greatest man to live uh, except for Christ. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now get this. So that he could have joy in the presence of Christ and leap The Holy Spirit comes upon a baby in a womb so that the baby can experience joy. That's what Elizabeth's prophecy, God gave her wisdom to know what it meant. This wasn't the normal just moving of a baby in the womb, but Elizabeth filled with the Holy Spirit interprets the movement. You see what God's doing? God through the Spirit, the prophet who's going to declare that the Christ is here, even in the womb, makes his first prophecy. And you want to know what he says? Joy! He says, joy! He doesn't even put in words. He just jumps. And Elizabeth, filled with the Holy Spirit, interprets for us the response. God from heaven tells us how we should respond to Christ. The forerunner demonstrates for us the joy he is to have. Uh, you know, in John chapter 3, verse 28, here's, here's what we uh, hear John saying. He says, you yourselves bear witness me that I said, I am not the Christ. John wanted to be on the record. I'm not the Christ, but I've been sent before him. 
the one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him, what does he do? He rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase. I must decrease. If someone asked you, what's the ministry of John the Baptist all about? It's all about joy. It's all about joyfully saying, I'm not the Christ, but He is. The bridegroom is here. The party is beginning. Our hope of happiness is here. And so we see that blessed believers rejoice in the inspired Word. The Holy Spirit, this is how we get Scripture, speaks through fallible people so that, carries them along, so that the words we have are God's words and not man's words, which is the only way when Christ was born, over 350 prophecies ended up being fulfilled that were spoken beforehand by Christ's life. Blessed believers rejoice in Christian community that builds your faith and in the Word of God. Point three, blessed believers rejoice in Christ. Now here's what we're going to see. We're going to see Mary's blessed Jesus is blessed, Elizabeth is blessed, John is blessed, and you'll be blessed if you'll believe. That's what we're going to see in the rest of this text. So let's look at verse 42. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. So Elizabeth, I mean, just probably surprisingly screams out this prophecy. Blessed are you among woman, women. Let's just figure out what does the word blessed mean and what tense is it in in the Greek language. Because if, if she's blessed and we're blessed and you can be blessed, what is it? What does it mean? It has the idea of having divine favor so that you're very pleased by the divine favor that you've been given. Now this verb, is, and I don't, I don't want to, I always explain this because this was so helpful for me to understand this, is in the perfect tense. Now you don't need to remember this, but here's what you need to know. A verb in the perfect tense means this, an action in the past happened so that it's having present uh, effect in your life presently and into the future. So think of it. You are blessed among women. Well, when God chose Mary by grace to put the Son of God in her, that's an event that happened in the past. She is experiencing the divine favor, the joy of that, being pleased in that even now. But the interesting thing is it's in the passive tense. It's a perfect passive. And what that means is 
This blessedness didn't emanate out of Mary, but she was acted upon from the outside. God came to a normal, sinful human being and acted upon her with divine favor and divine grace so that she's blessed, blessed among women. The most blessed among women. So much divine favor shown Mary. The point is not that there's this girl that was somehow a supernatural girl that somehow was better than everyone else that God looked down and responded to her inherent blessedness. No, it was by grace, blessed uh, among women. Uh, Here's what uh, Bach says. Elizabeth recognizes the unique blessedness of Mary. Blessed are you among women because of the child she bears. Blessed is the child you will bear. The The remark is rhetorical and it should not be read as if Mary is the most blessed of all women. It means she is very pleased. She's very pleased. The attitude of Elizabeth is representative of what Luke desires in any believer. What a joy to share in the events associated with Jesus. What a joy to share life with Him. So here you have Elizabeth, this older woman who's experienced a lesser blessing in one sense. She's only given birth to John. But she sees this young woman so blessed, the the Son of God's in her, that she bursts forth with this prophetic statement of the divine grace shown to Mary. And then look at verse 43. Now we're going to see Elizabeth's blessedness. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? The first thing she says is, how could, why, why am I graced that I get to see the mother of my Lord and that she should come to me? Total humility total recognizing I don't deserve this. Why have I experienced this blessedness? And isn't it interesting? She knows that the baby in the womb is the Lord. How? By the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. I mean, think what this would be like from Mary's perspective. You haven't even told her the story yet. And she's screaming out what's happened in your womb. God is so good. (laughs) You see this? This vulnerable little girl, no one in the world's going to believe her. But Gabriel helpfully says, by the way, Elizabeth's six months pregnant, sends her over so that her faith can be strengthened. It's just, you just see the kindness of God. Elizabeth knew Mary was pregnant and pronounced a blessing upon her. Um, One thing I do want to point out here, no one ever calls Jesus Lord apart from the Holy Spirit working in their heart. That's what we're told, 1 Corinthians 12.3, Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. 
and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. That doesn't mean that no one can repeat those words, but it means no one can believe that apart from the Holy Spirit working in their life. See, God's grace comes and initiates salvation. The blessed ones aren't the ones who believe. The smart ones aren't the ones who believe. The ones who believe are blessed. God has acted in grace through the Spirit upon them. In John 15, 26, speaking of the Holy Spirit, He says this, but when the Helper comes, I will send Him to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father. He will bear witness about Me. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Points to Jesus Christ. Matthew 16, 6, Simon Peter replied, the first disciple, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven has revealed it to you. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Peter gets it right. You're the Christ. And he says, Blessed are you. Because you didn't come up with that on your own, but God revealed that to you from heaven. Let's look at the blessedness of John, verse 44. For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. All we can do is wonder here. <laughs> it's just unbelievable. God is absolutely wonderful in how He decided to save sinful people. <laughs> From beginning to end, no human being would come up with what God has done. Here's what God does. He comes down for the rotten ones. Jesus said, I didn't come to, for the healthy, those who think they're good. I came for sinners. Would you do it that way? We would never, we would never come up with this. Would you have the Son of God be born in a 12, 13-year-old girl? And then would you have the first prophecy of Him be a baby leaping in a womb? It's unbelievable. It's been so fun this week just to sit and wonder at how God has done this. And then we see this. We see you. You and I come into the picture, verse 45. You might say, how are we here? Why isn't Mary here? Well, we've already been told Mary's been blessed. But look at what it says, verse 45. And blessed is she, she, who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. couple things here. What's highlighted in Luke is that Mary's blessedness is in her faith. The fact that she believed. That's the thing to be highlighted. Belief. Blessed is she who believed there'd be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her. Now, the parallel stories we have a contrast. Zechariah responds not in faith. God gets very angry and makes him deaf. Mary believes and she's commended. She said, let it be. 
the way you have spoken. And here's what you need to know. If you want to be blessed, if you want to be happy, if you want to have pleasures forevermore, you could be sitting there saying, how come he, why couldn't he have picked me? Why couldn't I be Mary? Here's what I love about this verse right here. If you can have faith, you can get in on Mary's greatest blessedness. That's what's commended. You say, are you sure of that? Well, look at Luke chapter 11. I just want to show this to you. Verse 27. I got a feeling that those who exalt Mary to almost a godlike status, call her a co-redeemer, say that she can hear your prayers, those who want to raise her out of the Scripture to this otherworldly type person who can bestow grace, Holy Mary, Mother of God, even that Mother of God. She gave birth to Jesus, the man. No one can be the Mother of God. Nobody starts out God. God graced her to have Jesus in her womb. But here's what we read. As Jesus was teaching, as He said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to Him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. Now let's just stop here. Someone's watching Jesus' teaching. They're saying this is absolutely amazing. Blessed is the womb that bore you. Blessed is the one whom nursed at at uh, your breast. Here's, here's what Jesus' response is. But He said, Blessed rather are those who hear the Word of God and keep it. You want to know who's blessed? Those who hear God's Word and believe it. They keep it as though it's so. Now this might come as good news to you. John, even though he leapt in his mother's womb, didn't know who Jesus was until the baptism of Jesus. Here's what, here's what John one thirty two says. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on Him. I myself did not know Him, but He who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is He who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Faith even comes hard for John. Blessed are those who believe, but faith does not come easy. That's why Paul, when he talks about faith, he uses words like fight and run a long race to finish it. It's hard. Faith comes hard, not because... God's Word isn't clear, but because our hearts naturally rebel against our Creator. Even as believers, we're putting to death doubt by coming into Christian community, listening to God's inspired Word, and looking to Jesus to find our joy in Him. When Jesus shows up, joy and blessing is all over 
the passage. Now you might be out there saying, well, why should I be so excited about Jesus? Well, the thing you need to understand is the predicament we're all in. Uh, the verses uh, uh, Scott just read, there's no one out there seeking for God. There's no person on the face of the earth looking for the God of the Bible. Now, they have God in their own imagination. They're seeking Him. People are seeking God like a criminal seeking a policeman. We've sinned against God. We're running from God. In fact, we even hate God because He asks us to glorify Him and we want to glorify ourselves. And the sad thing is, is in this rebellion, we demand to make something else into God. We're idolaters. We worship ourselves. We worship things. Anything other than God. And therefore, we forfeit our joy. And I'm standing here this morning not as a man with my own words, but in 2 Corinthians 5, Paul gives the Gospel to the Corinthians and says, this is God making His appeal through us. Be reconciled to God. Your sin and my sin have separated us from fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore in relationship to Him. There's no, there's no more somber news in the world. That's what hell is. Hell is forever being separated from the presence of God with your mind still working, knowing you have chosen sorrow and pain rather than fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. Your true happiness can only come as if somehow, some way, a sinner can be reconciled to God. And the big problem of the text that Scott put on the screen is this. How in the world can God forgive you? And how in the world can God forgive me? And still remain just. And the, what the Bible says is God in His love sent Christ to us. He lived the perfect life we could never live. He was the Son of God. And when He went to the cross, God put people's sins on Christ so that anyone who would trust in Him will have the lines fall for them in pleasant places. Even though they deserve destruction, they're getting an inheritance. Just like David looked forward in faith in that text. He didn't know how God was act exactly going to do it. We do. God sent Jesus to die for you and die for me so that when He was on the cross, every sin you ever did, every sin you will do, was punished on Him so that you can get Christ's reward for His perfect life. You may get sick. You may find out you have a week to live. Your closest loved one may die. But let me ask you a question. Can, he, can any of those things steal the joy that Christ brings? I'm going I'm, I'm to remind you of something. Mary, 
watched her son be crucified and beaten worse than any other man on the face of the earth. You think Mary's joy left? Elizabeth saw her son's head cut off. Difficult circumstances for these mothers who were so blessed by God, but none of that can steal the joy that is found in Christ. My prayer is is that you know that hope. And how do you get in on it? Blessed are those who believe. It's not your works. It's trusting in Christ. Let's pray. Father, I pray that You help our faith. We need it strengthened every day as our joy seems to be fleeting from us. Father, I pray that a trigger will go on in our mind that I need to get in a faith community where they believe the Word of God is actually the Word of God, where they'll put forth Christ for me. God, I pray that You would build this church up in our joy in Christ because we believe in Him. In Jesus' name, Amen.